You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. In Psalm 11, this psalm is sandwiched between Psalm 9 and Psalm 14. And honestly, that grouping of psalms is a lament from the psalmists about the condition of the culture around them. And they see the wicked flourishing, the wicked not fearing God, the wicked forgetting God, fighting against God. And all of it is very bleak and it's very negative. You find this psalm sandwiched between, and David, the psalm, the psalm writer, makes a decision in this psalm. And I like what he does. He's receiving counsel in the first three verses, and honestly, it is counsel that probably comes from a well-meaning heart, but not a spirit-filled heart. It's counsel that would seek comfort and immediate safety for the flesh, and really, if you look at those three verses combined, they're telling David, you should run. You should hunker down, ride this thing out, because it's so dark and so negative and so bleak, it is as though the very foundation that we've been settled upon is going to break, crumble, fall apart. And so the question is asked hypothetically by these people talking to David, I believe in verse 3, they're saying, if the foundations be destroyed, what can you do anyway? If it's going to get as bad as it looks like it's going to get, there's no hope. Yeah, yeah. You might as well just run like a bird to the mountain and hide and hope for the best. And so we've heard preaching, and I've preached on it before, if the foundation be destroyed, what are you going to do? That is not the important question. What you're going to do is really of no consequence because what might happen might not happen. My question is, what are you doing? Amen. I'm not going to ask this morning, what are the righteous going to do? But I want to preach on this thought, what are the righteous doing? Let's pray. God, help us, please. I pray for your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Revival is not birthed in comfort. It is birthed in affliction. It does not blossom out of blessedness. It comes forth out of brokenness. And sometimes, without you and I even realizing it, Things in our life steal our faith and focus away from God. We get so comfortable, so attached, and we put so much trust in these things that sometimes God will allow those things to be shaken and possibly even removed so that our faith is redirected from that faulty resting place back to a firm foundation. The word foundation means something that you sit upon something that you're settled on, it's something that gives stability and something that gives order. A foundation is a basis. A foundation is the groundwork. The foundation is the established starting point. It's a prepared thing. It is a purposed thing, and it ought to be a permanent thing. If the foundation be destroyed, everything that is risen from that foundation is doomed to fall. No matter how tall the tower, no matter how grand the building, all of it depends upon the foundation. And this morning I'll say that just as the tower and just as the building has a foundation, 
So society and religion has a foundation. Church and state alike depend upon a purposed, prepared, and what ought to be permanent foundation. If the foundations be destroyed, the entire structure is going to crash to the ground. I believe we live in an hour where there's an obvious and overt attempt to destroy the foundation. There's an attack today on that which ought to bring stability. There's an attack on that which ought to provide order to our society. There's an attack on that which has been our established starting point for everything that we know. To this point, the wind is blown, the rain has fallen, the storm is raged, and thank God the foundation has held fast. But I want you to consider, what if the foundation is destroyed? If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do when they're exposed to perverts parading down the streets of their city? What can the righteous do when there's government-sanctioned pedophilia in the public school system? What can the righteous do when people are given license to mutilate their body and they make us mutilate our reality? What will the righteous do when sin is celebrated as it is and righteousness is mocked as it is? What can the righteous do if the foundation be destroyed? I want to ask the question, what can the righteous do this morning as sin stalks the streets of our city? What can righteousness do today as wickedness walks the alleys of our town? What can the righteous do as hell tries to intrude upon every home? If the foundation be destroyed, and don't get it wrong, the foundation is definitely under attack in the generation in which we live. What can the righteous do? Legalized dope. What can the righteous do with normalized immorality? What can the righteous do with socialized alcohol? What can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? In this hour, the political narrative is unrighteousness. The cultural narrative is unholiness. And the spiritual narrative is unconcern. Righteousness has been evicted from the church house, expelled from the schoolhouse, and expunged from the judicial house. And the horrible effects of all of this is a failing nation and a compromised, watered-down church that makes no difference in time or in eternity. We are seeing anarchy in our society, anger in the atmosphere, and insanity everywhere, from the bathroom to the bedroom, from the words we say to the wardrobe they wear in the world. There is sin on every side. I want you to consider what are the righteous going to do if the foundations be destroyed. I'm afraid for far too long we've been comfortable in this Christian country and we've wrapped ourselves in the protection of the laws in this land. But can I say all of that is about to be stripped away if you and I don't get serious about seeking the face of God, intervening and interceding and begging God to step in the gap and come down and meet with his people. Our country's in a mess. Our world is in a mess. This nation is on the precipice. And if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? What will the righteous do when it costs you something to pray? What will the righteous do when they ask you how many Bibles you have in your house? 
What will the righteous do? when your children are taken from your home because you don't go with the transgender agenda and teach them that God created male and female. What are the righteous going to do? What are the righteous going to do when the drag queen comes to your local library and tries to read to young people? Everybody all right? What are the righteous going to do? What are the righteous going to do? Hey, listen, if they'll legalize homosexuality and if they'll legalize the transgender movement, you better believe before long, it'll be one man marrying three women, one woman marrying three men, or a man with a boy or a woman with a little girl. You say that'll never happen in America. It's already happening in America, in the political realm and in the Hollywood realm. And before long, it'll be on the streets of our city. But my question is, what will the righteous do? In Psalm 11, David is enduring a very unsettling season in his life. From the commentaries I read, they say Saul might be hunting David at this point. His life is in danger. There's wickedness on every side, and it feels like the bow has been bent in his direction. You remember the great victory that God gave David over Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Because of that, an evil spirit came upon Saul and Saul began to hunt down David and there's an attack that is forced or leveled against the foundation that God was laying for the nation of Israel. That's why they asked the question in verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, if you read those first three verses, they explain to you and I the situation in the life of David the severity of the situation and then the sentiment of the crowd in David's life. The situation is that David is being haunted and hunted by wickedness. But it's not just a casual pursuit. It is on every side in private places trying to take down the anointed man of God. David's counselors come to him and their advice to David in verse number one is you ought to run flee like a bird to your mountain. Can I say that has never been good advice and that is not good advice this morning. It is not time to hide out in your bunker and to lurk in the shadows and to keep your voice silent and to keep your vote out of the voters of the ballot box. It is not time to sit on the sideline as a pacifist and just say, well, whatever happens, happens. You don't run like a bird to the mountain. If ever there was a time to take a stand, it's in this day. Last week I visited and I told a pastor about it, the, uh, Brother Roloff's old property in Corpus Christi, Texas, and where that man of God was for so long, an evangelist and a pastor and had those homes and a huge piece of land, hundreds of acres of property there. But Brother Roloff used to sing that song, run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. He said, if I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up. I didn't start out to play. He said, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. So you can run if you want to and run if you will, but he said, I came here to stay. The counselors are saying, David, you ought to run. You ought to preserve yourself. It is time to hide like a bird in the hills. It is so bad. What can the righteous do? I'm sad to say this, but that is the sentiment that I hear preached from the average pulpit in America as well. They are gloom and doom. All hope is gone. It's bad and going to get worse. If I preach that way, I'd turn in my ordination papers. I'd resign and go do something honest like run for political office. I don't believe it's almost over. I don't believe it's dark and 
going to get worse as far as God's concerned. I believe God can turn this thing around and still send revival. But that's the sentiment. Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. You can't preach the Bible like that anymore. You can't sing the hymns anymore. You can't give an altar call anymore. You can't expect ladies to dress like ladies and men like men anymore. You can't run the buses anymore. You might as well just head for the hills and hide out and wait on God to come. That's the sentiment of the hour. What can the righteous do? Now, here it is. I think it's far more comfortable for us to consider what we might do. Hypothetically, here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do when the government tells me that I can't preach. That's real easy from fellows who've never had to face that. Here's what I'll do whenever they knock on my door and say, your son is coming with us. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. When, when everybody in the church where I pastor, where I preach, says that we're going to dim the lights and black it out and go rock and roll with this thing, here's what I'll do. And it's easy for us to bless God and amen and milk the cow and get all the glory out of the service because nobody's facing what they might do. And we actually think about it like, well, that's never going to happen anyhow. And we kind of sit back and relax and just put ourselves on spiritual chill mode saying, well, I'll be dead by then. The rapture will happen by then. And so we sit there and we'll say amen. We'll sing hallelujah, thine the glory of Amen. But what are we doing? Professional complainers, mediocre intercessors. That explains the average Christian, I fear, in this generation. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to us. Say amen right there. I want to ask you the question this morning, not what will you do. I want to ask the question, what are you doing right now? What are you doing this morning to try and put your hand in the hole of the dam and to keep the floodwaters coming into this generation? What are you doing right now to draw your line in the sand, lift your flag up high on the pole? Hey, listen, I don't think it's a good day to drop our sword on the battlefield, lay the shield next to it, pack up our stuff and go to the barracks and just bite our nails till Jesus comes. I think it's still a good day to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ to take our stand in war, a good warfare. I didn't get in this thing to raise a white flag and surrender to Satan. He had me in bondage long enough before I got saved. But by the grace of God, I want to make a difference in my generation. Not a hole in the darkness. Not what I'm going to do. But what am I doing today? I wonder, mom and dad, what are you doing? I wonder, husband, what are you doing? I wonder, wife, what are you doing? Not what you will do, but what'd you do today? What'd you do today to keep hell from advancing on our society? The majority of this crowd is living in ifs. David is living in what is. David understood this, and listen, this will help you. You cannot keep your culture pure. So don't get discouraged. You can't. You cannot keep your politicians honest. Shocking. You cannot keep your city without sin. It's too big for you. That's why God is on the throne and not you. But... You can keep yourself pure. You can keep yourself honest. And you can strive to be as sinless as possible and live as close to God as you can. And here's what David's determining in his heart. Fellers, I know you say I should run. 
I understand there's legalized dope. I understand there's the same-sex marriage. I understand there's the weirdness in Target. I understand all this is going on. You say I ought to run. But listen, I found a long time ago that I can't control the dope dealer, and I can't control what they sell at Target, and I can't control the advertising on my TV, but I can control my spirit, and I can control my heart, and I can control my faith. And he said, I've already made up my mind and not what I'm going to do. I'm already doing what I'm going to do right now. And can I say that's the most important decision you'll ever make is not what you're going to do. It's to decide I'm going to do what I'm already doing. I'm already praying. I'm already reading my Bible. I'm already trying to give my life to God. I'm already being faithful to what God's called me to do. And I'm just going to keep on plugging along. When the trouble comes, I'll just have faith in God and live for Him. I tell you the need is to draw a circle around ourselves and just decide in that circle, I'm going to just live for God inside my circle. Let me give you three things to consider, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go eat. Does that sound good to everybody? I think we're going to have steak. I just don't know who's buying it yet. All right, here we go. What are the righteous doing? Number one, here's what David was doing. He was being conscious of God. You see verse 1? It's not, it's not future tense. It is present tense. In the Lord put I my trust. He could sing the song, I'll just keep trusting my Lord, because he's already trusting in him. He said, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do when all hell breaks loose and the foundations, the stability, the set order of our world seems to crumble. I'm going to do what I'm doing today when it's not crumbling. I'm going to just go ahead and live like God's on his throne. I'm just going to go ahead and honor God and acknowledge God. I'm going to, in everything I do, just make sure God's involved in that. Let him direct my steps. I'm going to go ahead and put my trust in the one I've put my trust in today. Hey, listen, can I say, go ahead and don't wait till you need it to start trying to learn how to live by it. Go ahead and live by faith today. Don't wait till the tragedy comes. Don't wait till the trial comes. Don't wait till the bottom falls out and they say, now I'm going to plug into faith. No, plug into faith today and go ahead and let God provide and watch God meet the need. And then when the trial comes, you say, well, I'm just going to lean on what I've been leaning on. I was trusting before and I'll trust him today. I'll be conscious of God. Number two, he wasn't just conscious of God. He was confident in God. Amen. You see what he says here? Look at verse number three. If the foundations be assured, what can the righteous do? Now David begins to respond to bad counsel. He said, so here's what I'm going to do. The Lord is in his holy temple. Hallelujah. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. I was reading this verse and it tells me several things David reveals about God. Number one, God is unthreatened by the wicked. He's in his temple. What's that mean? He's not, he, he, he's not out there pacing the streets of heaven wondering what he's going to do. He's not biting his neck. He's just sitting back up in the house, kind of just, you know, everything's under control. They can protest. They can, they can parade. They can lift their voice and shout against me. It doesn't matter. It's like, look, I'm not, not one bit nervous. It's like a flea hopping on the tail of eternity. It doesn't even blip on my radar screen. They can be loud and proud if they want to, but I have more power than they have. He is unthreatened. I read the illustration. Muhammad Ali was riding on an airplane, and uh, uh, we always say flying on an airplane, but we don't fly on those. We ride in them, but they fly. But anyway, he was riding on an airplane, and the stewardess, uh, I was one of this the other day when I flew to Texas, the, the man was helping. I said, do I call you a stewardess? He goes, no. I said, yeah, I, yeah, I do. Anyway, uh, anyhow, anyway, I don't know if you call them anymore, helpers, but anyway, the stewardess came to him and said, uh, uh, Mr. Ali, you've got to buckle your seatbelt. He goes, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And she looked at him and said, Superman don't need a plane. You know what they're acting like? They're Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Let them have their day. This is their hour, right? This is the hour of the power of darkness. 
All hell is broken loose. It's perilous times. It's the last day. The devil is the prince and power of the air. He's the God of this world. But can I say, they might act like they're Superman, but they still got to ride on God's plane. Amen. He's still in control of the situation. And I promise you that what, what bothers you does not bother God. He is unthreatened, but watch this. He is unimpeached because he's not just in the house. He's on the throne in the house. He has not vacated that seat. He is still in that spot of authority. You can let a donkey sit in the White House or an elephant follow behind, but there's always a lamb on the throne in heaven. And he's never been voted out. He cannot be evicted. He cannot be impeached. He is there fixed, steadfast, and forever. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And thank God, his duration is everlasting to everlasting Alpha to Omega. He is on the throne and unimpeached. It doesn't matter the policies down here. They come and go and they change every time there's a new vote. His policies are fixed. Amen. But watch this. He is understanding. You see what it says? This is strange. It says, the Lord's throne is in heaven. Watch this. His eyes behold. And I get that. But then it goes further and said, his eyelids try. You say, well, that's just redundant. No, it's not. Your eyes and eyelids aren't the same thing. I only took biology twice, and I know enough to know. It's different. Anatomy and physiology. Anyway, his eyes, that's generic panoramic. His eyes see everything. But his eyelids, you know what you use your eyelids for? During the, ser during the sermon for sleeping, right? But normally, what do you use your eyelids for? Oh, I shouldn't have focused in like that. But that's what it does. You focus on this front row. Whoa, it's like Halloween. Anyway, you, you blink your eyes and focus. You can see even more detailed, microscopic kind of a view. What he's saying is God sees everything. But not only that, he sees everything about everything. His eyes on the sparrow, I know he watches me. God sees the whole world, but he sees everything that takes place in this world. And thank God for this truth. It should encourage the Christian and not a scare to an altar every lost person who's anti-God that God is keeping score up in heaven. And one of these days, wrong things will be made right. You can do this right today. Be conscious of God in everything you do. You say, how do I be conscious of God? By going to church. By simply getting up, putting on your church clothes, driving here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, you're being conscious of God. Other ways to be confident in God. Number three, I like this. How are you going to do? What are the righteous doing? He said, I'm already being conformed by God. You look what he said in verse number five. We'll read the rest. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and in horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. So that's the wicked. Now here's the contrast. For the righteous, and see how it describes him, the Lord describes himself, the righteous Lord. Look what he loves. It doesn't say he loves zeal or excitement or enthusiasm, though those things are fruit of loving the Lord. But watch what he loves in the primary. The Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. So David, what are you going to do when the foundations are, I'm going to do what I'm doing right now. What are you doing right now? I'm letting God conform me. And I'm trying to live as holy and Christ-like, God-like as I can in this moment. If you want to make a difference, you got to be different. When I went to church with, uh, with Desiree the first time for the date... And I always say, I don't care if it takes a, a goldfish, an iPad, or a girl. Whatever gets them in, hallelujah. That was the best fall campaign that church ever had. Anyway, uh, I went there with her. I thought, this is a cult. I've never seen anything like that in my life. 
It looked like the little house on the prairie in that church to me. I mean, I didn't have any standards or anything. I mean, I dressed then like some of y'all dress now. Anyway, I, 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 I just, um, no, but seriously, I went in that place. And just every, every lady was dressed like in a Sunday dress or in West Virginia, a denim jumper, maybe mossy oak jumper. But anyway, they were uh, just, they were different. The men had on, you know, collared, I won't say suit and tie, but collared shirts and their best blue jeans and things as a country church. But they looked different. But you know what? Here's the kicker. And they were happy. At the same time. Now, I've seen some folks that look different, but they weren't happy. Are you preaching some of those places? They are more separated than Jesus are and mad about it. I was in one place, the guy was preaching against Starbucks, and I had a Starbucks, like I still had the remnants of my Starbucks in my, on my breath, and I was preaching after him. I thought, that guy's, there's a lot of Bible in there to preach too, but he was just unhappy. <laughs> but in a world where the gender lines are so blurred, we don't need to help blur it in the church. Amen. Where there's such a big gap now, that gray area is so wide, we don't need to make it more gray in Christianity. You say, well, I'm going to live for God when it happens. You're not even, we're not even living for God now. Amen. So how am I going to make it if this takes place? I need to go ahead today and allow God to be conforming me through the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus Christ. I promise you, here's what helps people. Justin has never helped anybody. Jesus always helps everybody. And every once in a while, if I'll just let Jesus be shown through Justin, we can make a difference. Same thing in your life. You'll never help anybody, but Jesus through you can help everybody. But it's part of how, listen, outside, inside, every side, it ought to bring glory to God. I understand. We feel like, well, that's going to happen. That's going to happen when I'm dead and gone. It could happen tomorrow. And if we're going to stand it when it happens, we better go ahead and be living it today. Amen. Not what are you going to do. What are you doing today? When's the last time you had a prayer meeting? When's the last time you went soul winning? When's the last time you tithed? When's the last time you prayed as a family? Not what are you going to do. What are you doing? Let's bow our heads for a moment. I pray God will challenge our hearts with this truth today. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.